1: Hello and welcome to Gag Impressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfermarkt and the Football Grad creator, Manuel Veth. Manu, how you been? Yeah, doing really well, Bryce.
2: Um really enjoyed this match day and and you know he's not here right now but i get got to catch up with chris williams and to discuss the classica and that, that was a lot of fun so yeah we have an action-packed podcast happening today and um looking
1: forward to it but how are you yeah, not too bad actually. Um, I must say, um, I chose my games rather badly this weekend when it came to to uh, viewing, and uh, which obviously you enjoyed reminding me of. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I watched a lot of uh, games that didn't quite set the world alight, apart from the one that you've just mentioned. That's a uh, late kickoff on Saturday. That that was something special wasn't it and it was great to have Chris back and you guys recorded a piece from Saturday night as well to talk about that game which we'll get to later in the podcast but uh, Manu let, let, let's let get going and let's start with a game at the other end of the table in Schalke versus Mainz which happened on Friday night so the game ended nil-nil both teams are bottom of the table and Manu to be honest it, it looked like two teams that were bottom of the table and didn't really have much form or or to be honest quality on display yeah let's talk about the highlights shall we yeah
2: that's it that's all the highlights um (laughs) I was gonna say this won't take long (laughs) Um, it was goddamn awful I I think this podcast has just gotten x-rated but that game was terrible um and I think we've kind of been banging on the drum for a while now that we think that Schalke are, are done right they're going to get relegated. And um I think if you there was any hope that the coaching change to Kramotzis would give this club any kind of sort of hope, I I think that got buried very quickly. It's it's really hard to I mean it's really hard to fathom the, to think that anyone still believes that this club could maybe get finish outside of the relegation zone, right? And I know there's always hope that maybe you finish 16th uh, and again in the relegation playoffs, but does this team even have enough to beat someone like, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of teams that could finish uh, third in the, in the Bundesliga 2. Um, I mean, including Hamburg as well, Fürth, Kiel, Bochum. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in that second division. And I just don't, I don't see it, Bryce. I, I can't see this club survive. And I mean, to make matters worse, it looks like Bochum are going to go straight up from Bundesliga 2. So there won't even be a Rivier derby in Bundesliga 2 next year.
1: Yeah, this is it. It's I suppose we we talked about it before, didn't we? Um, well, plenty of times that Schalke just you know really lacking in quality, and they just look like they're not going to pull themselves out of this. They, they've even changed coach again, and it. I know that it's early days, but it didn't make much of a difference on this particular occasion, did it? Um, I, I will say that Mainz were the better side, and if you look at the stats, I mean they had nineteen shots to to Schalke's two. But then you look a bit deeper and there was only two shots on target of that 19. And it just goes to show you that, yeah, the quality wasn't really there. Um, obviously, Manu, we we said about Schalke, um, it, it's it, it's hard to imagine that they're going to pull it off and stay up. But if we talk about Mainz, uh, there's still hope for them there. They're, they're not that far adrift, but they, they certainly need to uh, well, just pick up some points from somewhere.
2: Yeah, I mean... Um... I don't know. I don't really have much good to say about them either. I thought that they were dreadful as well. I mean, it takes, this This was probably the worst Bundesliga game I've seen all season, Bryce. And it's because the quality on the field was just absolutely dreadful. I don't know where that quality is supposed to come from. Do do we think that Mainz are better than Bielefeld and Hertha who are in front of them or maybe Köln or Augsburg to drag them maybe in as well? I don't. I don't see it. And I think you know, I know it's only one point to Bielefeld. We'll have a game in hand, and we have to remember that we're talking about Bielefeld in a little bit, but I just don't see it, Bryce. I, don't, I didn't see quality there, and um, that game, that's 90 minutes I want to have back for sure.
1: It definitely drove you to, um well, when you were watching it over uh, in Europe, obviously the game's late for you. It's obviously early earlier in the day. Um, but, yeah, it definitely drove you in to drink um, for the weekend, I think, uh, just to get through that game. But, uh, but, Manu, if we're talking about Schalke going down, and obviously Schalke, a big club, you know, a, a club that's had success, um, spent money, lots of members. Uh, and them going down, you know, we'd imagine that they'll rebuild and they'll come back up. But, but for Mainz, what exactly would a relegation mean for them? You know, w- would this be devastating for them? I would actually argue
2: that Mainz are better equipped to go down than Schalke because they are, I mean, Chris always says like there's a top 24 in German football, right? Because like the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 are much more closely intertwined than it is the case in other leagues around Europe. And I think they would be probably be better equipped to go down and come back up than Schalke. Because I think there is actually a bit more quality in that side, and they don't necessarily have to get rid of all that quality. So um, I think for Mainz, if they go down, we'll probably see them pretty quickly come back. Whereas for Schalke, I mean, look at Hamburg. They're outside of a promotion zone now, right? Again. And they might cannot come up again. And um, that is, I feel that Mainz will be the better side of the two to actually say, okay, look, oh, we're going down. It's not the end of the world. And we're just going to like sell a few of our assets and bring in some Bundesliga, proven Bundesliga 2 talent and come back up. And I think that's how it's going to go down.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose we'll just have to wait and see if either side can pull it off and stay in the division. Uh, Armenia uh, would definitely be the other side, I would say, that uh, are in a little bit of trouble when it comes to staying up. But uh, let's move on anyway. uh, We're going to talk about, obviously, Duklaska in a bit. Well, Chris uh, and yourself, Manu, uh, talked about it. But uh, before that, uh, if we look at the fixtures this weekend, the other one that probably stood out was the uh, Ryan Derby, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus uh, Bayer Leverkusen. So let's go into that one. Tar won the ball well here and now Diaby sprints away for Leverkusen, this is Musa Diaby, fabulous save and Patrick Schick follows up and finds the game's first goal for Leverkusen and the Vexelf fashion the go-ahead goal in the game's final 14 minutes and Patrick Schick's on the mark. And yes, that was the winner, um, Patrick Schick, getting on the end of a Diaby shot that was then parried in his direction. Uh, Manu, I I said that I obviously watched quite a few games uh, this weekend and they didn't really set the world light. This was another one. It was definitely two sides that have been out of form at the moment, Leverkusen being the better side, but it wasn't a great one. But um, great for uh, Leverkusen to get three points under their belt, but... I suppose it brings up the talking points about Rosa and his time at Gladbach. Do we think that they'll part ways uh, sooner rather than the end of the season?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question because, I mean, we're getting to that point now, right? Gladbach drift, uh, 10th place, 33 points, haven't been good at all. And you do think, you know, it's interesting hearing certain voices in German football, Matthäus, for example, Lothar Matthäus and Sky said that there, was, may, there is probably some discontent between the players and the coach. Max Ebel, the sporting director at Gladbach, is uh, denying this. Um, but you hear more and more stories come out of that, out of Gladbach like this. I mean, the first week after he announced he was going to join Borussia Dortmund, that's when it really started with like, all sorts of rumors. We were all heavily denied by the club. But, you know, Bryce, where there's smoke, there's fire. And you, you do get the sense that maybe this team isn't quite playing for him anymore. And this game in particular was also dreadful. You know, both sides have really struggled to do anything with this game. And I mean, for Leverkusen, this was a fantastic result because in the end of the day, they won this match and they're still in the Champions League race. They probably don't know how they're still in this Champions League race, but here they are, right? Just three points behind Eintracht Frankfurt and five points behind Wolfsburg and one point ahead of Borussia Dortmund, who I think are going to finish in the top four, um You know, based on what we've seen over them from them in the last few weeks. But Gladbach are in big trouble because they're not going to finish in Europe. I just can't see them finishing in Europe. And there might be a point now where you say, okay, well, maybe cut ties with Rose and start looking into the new year and getting the club ready. That might, we might be there at this point now. And maybe that will be the best for all parties involved.
1: Yeah, that's it. Gladback have failed to win um, a Bundesliga game in their last six. Um, yeah, they've really dropped off, haven't they, since uh, Rosa announced that you will be leaving in the summer. They're down in 10th at the moment. Um, and it's, yeah, they've got a lot of competition, I think, to get a European spot. Uh, if we talk about Leverkusen a little bit, last week the three of us, you, myself and Stefan, thought that Peter Bosk might have been relieved of his duties during the week, but that wasn't the case. He's still there and they've managed to pick up a win. That's them now sitting in fifth. Do you see them possibly going on a run and getting a Champions League spot or do you think that's going to be slightly out of uh, of the possibility with, with Dortmund looking a little bit better now?
2: yeah it's, it's a good question i don't think so i mean we should have probably known better to call the end of uh of bosch's reign I, I think that that would have been um that would have been i think it was actually kind of unfair that we were put in that position i put the blame on you bryce <laughs>
1: but fair you enough. Know, fair enough.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes and no questions are always so difficult but i think um there was an was an interesting development in leverkusen this this last week they signed uh kell He um came in, came over from denmark and he's uh, work, going to work with uh, rudi feller in um an advanced sporting director role um youth development and player identification which is actually something that kind of touches on what we said last week right with with us more or less suggesting that the transfer policy wasn't always the best for Leverkusen. And it, it looks like they kind of identified this and maybe brought in a person now to can, that can help fellow and Rolfes when it comes to player acquisition. And it's an interesting development. It's, he's an interesting personality and um, I'm really looking forward what they're going to do with that in the long term.
1: Yeah, well, certainly, um, a, you know, a, a difficult one to call who's going to get the Champions League or the European spots at uh, at the moment, but maybe that will have just kicked a bit of uh, life into Leverkusen. Uh, next, they'll be facing Armenian Binefeld, uh, which is going to be uh, well, it, it should be a little bit of an easier game for them. But uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, Armenia um, after Der Clasica, where um, Chris and you spoke on Saturday night. So I'll I'll hand it over to you guys uh, to cover that, and then we'll come back round after that. So, to De Classica, it is.
0: Gnabry trying his luck on that right-hand side. Is there a chance for Gokenska? Maybe! Question answered! Leon Gokenska!
1: And could it be the goal that
0: settles this edition of De Classica? Bayern have been trying and trying. Goretzka beating Hicks, complaints from the Dortmund players, but it's three two.
2: Yeah, hi Chris. Another classic in the books. Um, what's your first thoughts looking at this result? Looking at at this game overall, you know, I, I when Goretzka put that one away, I just thought, well, here we go again, Borussia Dortmund. It was a meltdown. Um, But it wasn't quite the same meltdown that we usually see from them at the Allianz Arena, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, if you look at (laughs) before we went into this game, it's like 4-0, 5-0, 6-0. There's there's all sorts of crazy results. But I don't know how you can be... Well, I do know how because I watched it, but I don't know how you can be 2-0 up inside of 10 minutes and and go on to lose 4-2, let alone 3-2. But um, yeah, it... It's a great game, but it opens up a lot of questions about Dortmund, um, mainly because they had a lot of people missing. Um, Players that didn't travel, the three that didn't travel, Sancho, Guerrero and Reina. I I thought when they went 2-0 up, I didn't think they were being missed. But once Erling Haaland went off, then it's a completely different match. You've got four of your best players not able to play. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's so much to take. From this match, I mean, where do we start? Bayern's defense, Bayern's ability to recover, Dortmund's beautiful attacking play versus their collapse, and dare we say it, their mental approach to a game again once it goes 2 2. I mean, there's just so many talking points, and then of course, we've got the game which heaped even more pressure on this, which was Leipzig's win at Freiburg early on on Saturday. Yeah, I think
2: we we almost need to start with that, right? Obviously, the classica is is the big headline game of this weekend. But we have to remember that Bayern Munich went into this game not being first in the table. And I think we all kind of fearfully watched the the earlier game between Leipzig and, and Freiburg. And we were thinking like, okay, well, here's a chance for Leipzig to go first on Saturday afternoon and put pressure on Bayern Munich for the before the evening fixture, before a game that is maybe wrongfully labeled the clasica these days. Um, but it still like holds a lot of weight for both of those clubs. And we have to talk about Leipzig, Chris. Um, before we even get to Dortmund Bayern, we have to talk about Leipzig because this is now the third time in a row where they just have been very, very impressive. Just the, the fact that they went to an opponent... Um, I mean, it starts all with that second-half performance against Gladbach, then midweek in the Bokal against Wolfsburg, and now this 3-0 result where you never had a feeling that 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 result would ever be in doubt. It was a Bayern-esque performance once again by Leipzig, wasn't it?
0: I don't think the start of the game was particularly fascinating. And I don't know if maybe Leipzig were a little bit, not intimidated, but were maybe a little bit conscious of the bigger picture. But I think once they got through that first half an hour and they settled down then they really put their foot down they had a couple of opportunities early on but in the first 10 minutes to open the score and, and they didn't but once you feel that they got fully into that game and they got their feet under the table of it and I'd say that was about half an hour it only looked like it was going to be one way it became a matter of when Leipzig would score not if and of course they get that first goal and from the minute that first goal goes in you can see the whole team lift um of course we have half time in between um but then yeah afterwards the second half was just leipzig free flowing football something that we've seen of them of late they look confident they control the tempo they control the areas of the pitch they dictate when they want to attack when they want to hold on to the ball they dictate the speed of the play do they when they turn it over it's it's up to them whether they attack which is what we've always seen them do, but Nagelsmann's got them on that. Well, actually, we don't need to attack. Let's just wait. Let's pick our prime moment to do it. And and I think we saw that because that second goal is, is a great goal. And the third one from Forsberg is just a wonderful team performance, wonderful team attacking move. And that shows a real maturity. And if we think back, Manu, it's only... I mean, three, four years ago, obviously time's a, a loop at the moment, but when we went to the um, Red Bull Arena and we saw Leipzig outplay Bayern, but they didn't have that mentality to see it through and they were eventually beaten, was it 5-4? It was one of the best games I've ever been to, but you look at those two sides now and they are so far apart in, in their development, aren't they?
2: Yeah, I think it's they have made a huge step in their development. I think... Someone's turned a switch at one point this season because I think that the, the, the potential to, for them to play like this has always been there. And there have been uh, glimpses of that sort of performance throughout the year. And obviously, you know, they were seven points behind Bayern and that that gap has now shrunk to two points. That doesn't happen overnight, right? And that That's a development. But I feel like almost there was a switch that was clicked, maybe somewhere between... That defeat to Liverpool and that first half to Gladbach um, at halftime, all of a sudden they came out and they turned that 0-2 into a 3-2 in one of the most convincing performances that I've ever seen by any Bundesliga side over 45 minutes, not named Bayern Munich. And then that performance against Wolfsburg. Again, it was just it's just so clinical right now. Like it's not even that the football is brilliant or anything, as you as you rightfully pointed out early on. It's just very clinical and clean that Forsberg goal is is a great example but even the goals leading up to that and when you look at the numbers against Freiburg and this is a very very good Freiburg side by the way this is one of the best seasons that they have ever played in the Bundesliga history we can't forget that but they have 58 possession against a Freiburg side that is a team that likes to have the ball right um 5 to 13 shots it's just it was just such a convincing performance by them and such a mature performance as you said and I find it really fascinating because we had this debate today on Twitter because, yeah, they, I mean, we've seen glimpses of it. There was that game against Liverpool where where they had, I would say, 70%, 80% of the time they played very good football, but they, they had these 20%, 30% where they were just absolutely dreadful. Like, absolutely dreadful, right? Um, and all of a sudden, somewhere there is a switch that has gone on. And we've seen this with Nagelsmann sides in the past, you know, where that happens, it all of a sudden goes on. All of a sudden, Serlo is a striker that they paid 20 million euros for. All of a sudden Forsberg is on form again and Kunku is playing great football again. Tyler Adams is the quarterback that we all expected him to be, right? It's interesting because we've seen this development before with Nagelsmann's sides, haven't we?
0: I do feel sorry for Julian Nagelsmann sometimes because he's had to do all this development and not just him and his, but his side as well in the public eye. Everybody's expected um, Leipzig to push on. I don't think anybody in the club has helped by them finishing second in their first season. Everybody expected them to take this next step and it's done very publicly. Last season, the season before, they drew far too many games. I think I've said it before on a podcast loads of times. I think they threw their own title away last season by drawing 12 games. And this season, it's been a little different. They drew on match day two. They followed it up with some victories. Then they had a defeat and they followed it up. The only time... I thought they might have a wobble is when they were beaten by Dortmund and then they drew with Wolfsburg who have have been a revelation this season. So that's not a particularly bad result. And then of course they inexplicably get beat by Mainz and that's when I thought this is it. I think it's gone, but they followed that up with just a tremendous six game winning streak now. Um, And, This sixth game was the most impressive because it wasn't just about winning. Okay, they they beat a terrible Schalke side. They've beaten Augsburg, Hertha, and and the game against Gladbach was, was a real joy to watch. But this one against Freiburg carried its own mental pressure because everybody knew, win this and go top. And then all of a sudden, you put the pressure on Bayern. And that's what we want. We want a title race. We want a two and a throw in. Hopefully, <laughs> I don't know how it's panned out. I'll have to look further into the fixtures. But if these two can play at different times and they're heaping the pressure onto each other, that is is the sort of title race that I like where one goes clear and then it's over to you. What can you do? And it adds this extra level of pressure. But the way they just picked apart um, Freiburg on Saturday was just a joy to watch. They They weren't rushed. They were patient. They decided when they wanted to do it. And the goals... All three of them are real high quality and that shows a big development for me. And let's not forget, they're in the semi-final stages of the Pokal. They could potentially win that. Can they win that? Can they win the league? Could they win the double? The way they're playing at the moment, they play Liverpool this coming week in a Champions League. Liverpool are playing terribly at the moment. I... I think everyone will know I'm a Liverpool supporter. I haven't seen Liverpool play this bad since they were under Roy Hodgson. They're in a terrible vein of form at the moment. Lost five games at Anfield. Never happened. That has five consecutive games at Anfield they've lost. I think Leipzig will be genuinely annoyed that this second leg isn't at Anfield. It seems to be a massive problem for Liverpool at the moment. My only fear for them is can they fight on three fronts? Would it almost be better? And this sounds almost sounds crazy but would it be better for Nagelsmann to concentrate on the Bundesliga but if you make it through the next stage of the Champions League there becomes another financial windfall and this club isn't ran like Manchester City or PSG it's not it's not an open checkbook it has to be self-sustainable and if they can get through to the next stage of the Champions League that also brings through a hell of a lot of money to push the club forward in the summer transfer market
2: yeah and then there's also the fact that uh Winning breeds winning, right? It's a, it creates a culture in, in which you in which you learn how to succeed. And I think if you you know, it's not the end of the world if you go out against Liverpool, especially after the first leg, but let's say you do go through, that will give you that belief that you can you can basically push on and maybe push Bayern all the way. And um you pointed out, um the title race, it's two points. I think it's now just between those two. There was maybe, you know, maybe tongue in cheek suggestions that the likes of Wolfsburg and Frankfurt could maybe jump into the mix but I think with when you look at the table now it's Bayern on 55 Leipzig on 53 and then it's Wolfsburg with 45 and Frankfurt for 43 Um, it is between those two now and next week Bayern are in Bremen um, this is a side that doesn't roll over the same way than they used to for many years and then uh, you get your wish Chris it's Bayern will put on the pressure first and Leipzig will get to respond on Sunday against Eintracht Frankfurt, a very good Eintracht Frankfurt side. And I think it's going to be like that when you look at the, uh, the match days. It's going to be like that for quite some time, you know, that one has to play first and the other has to respond, uh, which is interesting, you know. I mean, just look at the following match day. It's, for, uh, it's Leipzig on Friday. And then Bayern has to respond against a very good Stuttgart side. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get this scenario for quite some time. And I thought it was really cool that we had this before the Classica today that we had leipzig beat freiburg and bayern having to go into this game and you know it is on the grand stage in the united states it's on abc and i had the worry going into this game and i know we have a lot of our listeners from the united states and i had this worry that oh oh boy here comes another we where bayern go into the match and it's 30 minutes and it's three 0 Bayern win 5-0. Dortmund do the usual thing at the the Allianz Arena. You know, we've both been there. We've both seen it live. And this game goes on. It's 10 minutes old. And Erling Haaland has scored two goals. And the pressure is just on on Bayern. And it's massively on Bayern. And I thought it couldn't have been set up better for the DFL, ABC and everyone involved, right?
0: Yeah. uh, Going into this match, I... Was a little like you. I was a little worried, and I think most of the people who cover the league um, on on social media had the same sort of thought. This is going prime time to an American audience, um, and are we going to get casual viewers come in and go? So what's this about then? And after 15 minutes, it's three nil to 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 Bayern, and people are are going, oh well. I've heard about this league before, you know, and and it's not as exciting maybe as a Premier League, or it's not as exciting as La Liga, and. I think it would have missold the whole season that we're seeing. So when when Holland scores two goals inside of nine minutes, I was really happy for that. Um, I was really happy because I think it, it shows our buying up for a fight. And, and yeah, they were. But I know our listeners aren't new, but if there is anybody new, it showed a load of problems that Dortmund have had for the last few seasons, isn't it? It's can they hold on to a lead and you're almost expecting it. Where is that sliding doors moment? And we had it where, oh, I mean, you, we spoke off the pod, you said, all well, Mounier has to do is shoot. I can understand why he tries to pick out Holland, who is unmarked in the area, five yards out. I can understand why he does it because it's a third goal. It's a hat trick. And I, I genuinely would think that's not game over, but close to it inside the first half. But he he panics and he doesn't shoot and he doesn't pass. And inside a minute, we've gone from a situation where it should be Bayern nil, Dortmund three, to when it's Bayern one, Dortmund two. And and the second that goal goes in, the the game changed. On, on, in an instant, the game changed. Bayern became the dominant attacking force after the goal went in. And then it always looked like, when was the equaliser going to come again?
2: Yeah, that was actually one of the questions we had from Adam Kaelin. Uh What if anything could have Dortmund done differently? When I read that question to you before the podcast, I'm like, Monier could have just scored. <laughs> he put your boots through the through the ball and hammered that past Manuel Neuer. I don't care. I don't care who's in goal there. If you if you so clear through, I, I guess Monier is not a striker. Fair enough. But um, and I think you are also quite right. If you see Haaland on your left, you can probably pick him out. But don't do what he did. And that was, I, I, had, I had a very sinking feeling the moment that opportunity was squandered. And I just thought to myself, well, this is it. That was, that was the moment. That was the moment where Dortmund could have scored a third. And I don't care if you're playing against the best team in the world. You are going to win that match. And that's, um, I think that's that's one of those things where you just look back. And it's, that's in many ways Dortmund in a nutshell, isn't it? It's the amount of wasted opportunities the club has had in the last, I mean, it's 10 years now. Um, it it kind of sums it up in that moment. And it was such an open and wild game up to this point. And I mean, in fairness, even when Bayern made it, 1-2 um, through Lewandowski, and they you know Lewandowski will score when he gets in that opportunity, and then 2-2 two, two through that penalty. And we'll have to talk about the penalty and the, the, the other penalty situations in a moment. Um, I think that, you know, that was to be expected. And then we had a very wild second half as well, Chris. I think the, the game started very well in the second half, and I think it really just... the. The final plug for Dortmund was when Haaland went off. And um maybe you opt to change your formation at that point. Because I feel like oh say terzic said, Okay, well we had we have Tiggis on the bench. He's this uh Haaland clone that they discovered in, in the Regionalliga. Um talented striker, no doubt, but you know he's not Erling Haaland. And we're just gonna keep punting balls to a tall guy up front. Um, forgetting that the tall guy up front is no longer Erling Haaland, it's now Tigges, right? And I think maybe I would have changed the formations at that point and just gone with with a different trick because the trick wasn't working and it wasn't obviously not going to work with Tigges up front. So that's maybe where when you are more experienced coached, um, if you have a little bit more of a tactical repertoire, that's probably where you're going to make a change.
0: Yeah, I did feel very sorry for Edin Terzic because... He went into this game yesterday, as we record this, so Friday, being unable to travel with, I think, two of the key players this season. Of course, Jaden Sancho, many said, was in poor form as, as he come back into it. I don't really think he left it. I just think he didn't play as well as he could do. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he's back assisting and scoring goals. He's, he's ruled out. And then Rafael Guero, who has just been tremendous again at times for Dortmund, He's unable to go. Gio Reyna offers another attacking threat. I feel, have they got those three players at their disposal? Um, if Holland goes off, you've still got a threat in Sancho. You've still got a threat um, from a wing-back like Guero. You've still got the threat in those midfield areas from the likes of Reyna or Bellingham or whoever's playing. But I think the minute you lose those four players, once Holland goes off, he is almost fighting with one arm behind his back, but then you're quite right. Don't just put Tigers on it and lump the ball to him because yeah he might he might be tall, he might be blonde, he might be slim, he might be very similar but but they're not the same players are they they're they're two very different experiences, and one can hold the ball up slightly better than the other and then there's no attacking outlet either side, so yeah. I was it would find I'd find it hard to criticize him too much because the way they started the match, I thought he got his tactics spot on. They exploited, really exploited that Bayern back line, high back line. Um I thought they gave the the two centre backs loads to, to think about. I thought the midfield um was pretty much under Dortmund's control. Um I thought Emre Chan had a really good game. I suppose we can get through to the foul or not foul at at some point. Um I thought it was a foul. I've since Had a a second think about it but yeah it's just so Dortmund for them not to to take that third goal because I think do they get that third goal I think Bayern could probably pull it back to 3-3 but I don't know if they would then go on and get 4-3 I know they get the 4 and it's 4-2 but they get the fourth because Dortmund's head drops after letting in that third and you know Lewandowski gets his his hat-trick inside a minute of the third goal going in so that just compounded more misery onto them. But it, it was just such a, a Dortmund, um, an example of how Dortmund have been throughout this season. But for them, I think they can be happy with a really good showing in the Alliance Arena from far, from full strength as well.
2: Yeah, I thought that especially, I think up to the 64th minute, that game could have gone either way. And then um, Bayern completely took control for, for all the reasons that you pointed out. I think we do have to discuss what has turned out to be the winner. And I know Lewandowski added a fourth, right? But um, the Dortmund the Dortmund players in particular were furious with Goretzka's goal, with the build-up, with Leroy Sané. Um, what they see as a foul on Emre Can and and... Um, Royce in particular said, um, it was a foul. I tell you in all honesty, if that had been against Bayern, it would have been whistled. That's just the way it is. How did you see that, Chris? Because, yeah, that's one of those things that could go either way. And it is frustrating for people who don't support Bayern because they do get the sense that Bayern get those calls, right? We had that non-penalty against Boateng last season, for example, we had a penalty for Bayern today, and we had a situation um, against Royce where he where he storms into the box and it is a foul. Um, I think it's outside the box you know I only saw one replay because there was so much action going on but does Royce have a point is there is there a little bit of a bias here or is this maybe just something where Dortmund have been more unlucky in recent years
0: yeah, it's always a good one. I'm not sure there's any bias as such. so I don't think the referee decides not. To give either of those fouls um, because they favour Bayern. I don't think. I don't think that. I think had the stadium been full, you could argue are they swayed by the crowd. I'd flip it the other way. If this game is in the um, Westfalenstadion, I think both of those are given because I think the crowd would would have a, a well a negative or positive <laughs> depending on on who you support, who you're rooting for would have an effect on that. What I would say is I think Bayern's penalty is a penalty um because it is a foul. Um and I think they were right to review the situation. I think it is I think it's a clear and obvious error because I think it's a foul that leads to a penalty. The, the Royce situation, um I think it starts outside the box, but I think it continues inside the box as well. And if the first one is reviewed on for a potential clear and obvious error, I think the Royce penalty should be reviewed and then the referee can look at it and then he can decide subjectively um, is the contact outside the box? Does it continue inside the box or, or is the initial foul outside? I think that's possibly what they could have looked at. Um, But we don't know what the conversation is between the the VAR and, and the referee. So the VAR could have said, yeah, we've checked it. And, and, you know, it, the foul's outside the box, so it's not a penalty. VAR's not there to issue pen- VAR's not there to issue free kicks. That's not its job. Is it a penalty? No. It, the The contact happens outside the box. If that's the case, that's fine. I've got no. have got no problem with that at all. But then the foul on on Emre Chan that leads to the to the third goal. I think it's a foul. Um, I think Sane comes into him. I think he impedes him. Um, so if you impede an opponent with contact, that's a direct free kick um, under the laws. Um, so I think, I think that is, that's a free, you know, that, I think that's a free kick, but it's subjective. So if the referee doesn't think so, you know, then the end, ultimately it's his decision. The problem that Dortmund have, and I know they wanted it reviewed, is because once the ball is taken off, off Chan, it goes back behind the halfway line. So that, potential turnaround for an attacking phase of play goes because it's played backwards across the, the halfway line to a defensive player. There's no attacking phase of football. It's gone. So that, so the phase resets under the laws um, and then it becomes just an attacking phase after that. Had that foul happened five yards further up the pitch and it had led to a pass into the box and then a goal, I honestly think that goal's chalked off for a foul in a build-up but because the play, the play goes from an attack into a defensive phase, back into an attacking phase. It can't be argued as, as a build-up to the goal. Now, that won't help Royce or anybody because I still think it's a foul. But you know, I, I haven't got the whistle. At the end of the day, that's the referee, and and it's in the referee's judgment. Does he or she, he on this particular occasion, think that it, it, it's um, it's impediment by contact? He doesn't.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think. You know, and when you look at the balance of play, when you look at the numbers of the day, when you look the way Bayern played in particular in the second half, I mean 66% possession and 27 to 4 shots on goal. Um I think in the end Bayern deserved to win this match and referee decisions always factor in, but so do many mistakes made on on the field well, on both sides. So yeah, I think um we have to only maybe talk about one more thing before we wrap this up, Chris, and that is Robert Lewandowski. And we did get a question today. And I personally think he's going to get it. Um, but Mike has asked us if we think if he's going to get that 40-goal record set by Gerd Müller in 1971-72. I, I, Mike, I think he's going to get it. <laughs> he's, he's on 31 goals now. He has another 10 games on his current rate. Unless he's getting injured, I think he's going to break the record. What do you think, Chris?
0: Yeah, I do. I think he'll break the record as well because he's got those 10 games left. But it's not like he scores one here and then he goes through a bit of drought. He tends to, like he you know did today, tends to get a hat full. Um, and I think he's probably, I mean, there's 10 games left. I, I could see him breaking the record. Um, I could see him maybe going above it by a couple, maybe two or three. I think it would be very sad for him to equal it because I think the career he's had if that record's going to fall, I think it needs to fall properly. It would be a shame for him to have a joint record because where his age he is, um, I think he's at his very peak and this is probably his best chance to break that record. I, I do think he'll get it, Mike, because I can see him scoring two goals here, three goals there, not just in one match, but a couple of matches. I, I can see him getting through it. But yeah, he he always seems to know where to be at the right time. You look at that the goal that makes it um, 2-1 or 1-2, or whatever you want to call it, obviously, buying at home. So, you know, the one goal back, he's in exactly the right place at the right time. He splits the um, Dortmund back line. It's an easy pass for him. He makes a move at exactly the right time to keep himself on side. Um, it's, It's a great finish. And then, of course, we all know he's a poacher, but he works really hard in and around the box. You don't score that many goals by luck, and he's there season in, season out. I mean, if he does get this magical 40-goal record and gets past it, he's going to add it to all of these times that, you know, he's won the, um, he's won, he's won the, the, it's not the gold boot, it's the cannon, isn't it? Every time he, he plays, he seems to be there or thereabouts. It's a phenomenal record, and I'd I'd like to see him get it this season, and maybe to get 43 or 44 um, if you could get 44 and go over it by 10%, I think that would be just a remarkable achievement.
2: Yeah, I, I can maybe just to wrap it up. I, growing up, Chris, I didn't think anyone would ever get it. 40 goals seemed to be a magical number that no one could ever achieve. And, you know, my first few seasons, we had we had Basler and Herzog reach 20, and that seemed like a lot. <laughs> so, Lewandowski, I think, getting it, um, it's a magical number getting that record, and then I think if it's if it's Lewandowski, I can't think of anyone else deserving it more than him. But that's it. That's the segment of the of the Classica special. Chris, thanks for joining me.
0: Yeah, no worries, and hopefully, I can be back on the normal podcast soon. Um, yeah, look forward to it.
1: Yeah wasn't it great to hear Chris back on the podcast. Hey, we do miss him. He's obviously uh, tweaking things uh you know we're producing uh duties for us but um you know so he's never too far away but nice to hear his voice. So um Manu uh, let's uh, let's Go back down uh, lower on the table. Once again, we're going up and down today. And yeah, talk about uh, Armenia. They they were probably the surprise package when it came to changing their coach during the week. We didn't see this coming, uh, Stefan, uh, yourself and I. But yeah, they, they relieved the duties of uh, Neuhaus and they've brought in Frank uh, Kramer. Um, Manu, what, what can you tell us about Frank Kramer? And who is the guy? He's not exactly a, a household name. No, he's not. He's. Um, he, I saw one someone
2: on Twitter, the Armenia Bielefeld English account, um, not official English account, by the way, fan account. Say, "Who? Yeah, Frank Grammer. I think we have to kind of go and explain to maybe what happened in in Bielefeld because, on the surface, Sven Neuhaus, uh, sorry, Uwe Neuhaus, did did very good work at the club, right, and steering them clear of a direct relegation place with the game in hand. They it's feasible to think that they might actually avoid direct, like even the relegation playoffs. But apparently there was quite a lot of things that went on uh, behind closed door that made working together with Uwe Uwe Neuhaus very difficult. Apparently he did not directly talk to the players. Um, He often only used uh, to communicate using head uh, captain uh, close to speak to the team. They, Arminia Bielefeld, wanted the wanted Uwe Neuhaus to use um, academy players and youth players. And this was discussed in, in great length. And uh, Uwe Neuhaus promised that he would, but didn't. He didn't deliver on those promises. A lot of players within the team uh, said that they were never addressed, that they were left cold shouldered. And this was also addressed. And uh, Uwe Neuhaus promised that he would um, alter his uh, coaching style, and he didn't. And the consequences were that the club wanted to go with someone more modern, someone who reaches the, the younger players in the team, but also um, is able to, to maybe develop the team into the next level. And Frank Gramer is someone who can do that. He worked in the the academy system of um, Hoffenheim. He worked in the academy system of Fortuna Düsseldorf, a club that I'm very familiar with and um, that that has done quite a lot in that department. And then he went to uh, work at the he also worked for the German Youth Setup, has done very good work there as well. And then uh Red Bull, right? And I mean a lot of people obviously the traditional fans um are not a fan of what the Red Bull system does, but we know that the the Academy system and youth setup is is excellent. And yeah, he's kind of worked his way up. And we've seen in the past, you know, that the coaches like Nagelsmann or Rangnick or etc like they all like managed to like work their way up through through these kind of setups and Frank Kramer is going to be a very interesting head coach I think who is going to be who's going to be working much more closely with this team I think and try to get the best out of this team in terms of talent but also develop the players on off the field as well and I think it's going to be an interesting project to see if he can keep this team in in the league which would be a huge surprise I think any everyone thought that I Amine mean, Bielefeld would go straight back down and he has a very good shot now of keeping Bielefeld in the league um, drew Union Berlin 0-0 yes a boring game but that's a huge point for them right so I think Frank Gramer is going to be an interesting one to watch in the Bundesliga
1: yeah, not a bad start, is it, nil-nil? It may not have been the most exciting games, but I'm sure he would have been happy enough to to take a point from that one. Um, midweek, uh, Armenia will be playing as well. They'll be playing their Match Day 20 uh, game that was called off previously um, against Werder Bremen. So that will be another chance for him to get some points on the boards and see if he can steer them away from relegation um manu let, let's move on you you've had a fantastic conversation not just with chris not just with myself but so you're with another german football legend this week in jorgen klinsmann um that must have been a uh, fantastic it must be a lot of fun um and by the sounds of it you talked about a lot of things but we're going to focus uh, firstly uh, on uh, thomas muller uh, what did he have to say um about him and his um his possible future with uh, the german national side something that's been ever talked about it feels yeah it was actually a lot of fun
2: i i didn't know what to expect and um, the dfl does a fantastic job to give us time with, with players in the bundesliga and to give us time with uh, personalities that used to play in the bundesliga and they set us up with Jurgen klinsmann it was a small round table uh, me and another three journalists and Klinsmann spent a lot of time with us. He spoke with us for 40 minutes um, on all sorts of topics. Hertha Berlin, of course, was a big topic. And we got to ask him about um, Thomas Müller as well and Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng as well, obviously, right? And he said that uh, he believes that the decision to no longer call him up was made in a moment. And he believe- he feels that circumstances have changed and that is maybe time to recall them. And he feels positive that Joachim Löw will recall them. And it's interesting that he said that because uh, a full 24 hours later, Joachim Löw's, Löw was asked around the Klassiker about the future of Thomas Müller, Jerome Boateng, and uh, Mats Hummels, and Thomas Müller in particular, right, who has been in incredible form, and said that um, a decision on them will be made in May, and uh he's previously said that of course the pandemic changed things although I don't think the pandemic actually changed anything I think uh the the playing on the field has has made uh this decision different Thomas Müller in the meantime has come out and said that he's also would be interested to come back I think it all points towards now at least Thomas Müller being recalled and probably I think uh Mats Hummels as well because the team needs them and it's It's going to be one of those where they're going to find some kind of uh, saving face phrasing and uh, mechanisms to allow for the comeback of these players, because I'm pretty sure now that it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, well, there's international games coming up fairly soon. We you know, we we could be provided with some answers then, maybe. But uh, Manu, did did uh, Jurgen have anything to say about his uh, former employer, uh, Hertha Berlin? Obviously, Hertha's sitting in fifteenth uh, at the moment. So they, they've had a bit of a rotten season.
2: Yeah, he did. Um, it's it you know it's in the piece on transfermarkt, but he was refreshingly honest about it. And that's, I think, something that I would definitely give him credit for, that he was very refreshingly honest about the situation that he faced in Berlin and um, admitted that the Facebook uh, post was a mistake, but also said, um, you know, that he just felt that it was not the right setup for him to succeed and that it was uh, mentally just too challenging for him to go on. And as a result, felt he had to leave. And to hear from that side of perspective, there's always two sides to every story, right? And we always kind of forget that in this business, that um, there's always two sides to the story. And I think the one of the big sides of to the story is that the very people he didn't get along with and, and wasn't able to work with together and he pointed this out at the time, they're all gone. <laughs> every single one of them is gone now, right? Michael Brez was fired. And uh, it's... it he didn't want to say that he was vindicated, but I, uh, you know, when you, when you sit face to face with someone and you, you can read the, you can read the body language. And he, I think he did get, you did get a little bit of sense that like, yeah, I told you so, you know, I told you that things were rotten and that this wasn't a situation where I could have been successful. And that's really interesting. I think there was a lot of very interesting juicy bits and pieces in there. And, you know, if you want to read it, it's on transfer both in German and English. And, uh, has been widely quoted in the media in Germany afterwards, after I published my piece. And and it, it was a very interesting conversation just in general. And I think it shed some light on what really happened at Hertha Berlin, you know, doing these, I think, what what was it, 10 weeks that um, he was there. And yeah, um, all around very fascinating conversation and um, interesting insight into
1: Hertha. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I would would say check out that piece if you can. Uh, Lots of interesting information on there from uh, Jürgen Klinsmann. Uh, Nice one, Manu. Um, Yeah, that that more or less does it, I think, for this week. Um, Guys, midweek, you're obviously going to have that uh, Match Day 20 game that I mentioned, Armenia-Bienfell versus Werder Bremen. Uh, But also on on Tuesday, we're going to see Dortmund versus Sevilla in the Champions League. Uh, they have a three-two lead, so let's see if they can uh, if they can complete that and get through the next round. And RB Leipzig on Wednesday night will be facing Liverpool, um, and we'll try to come back from 2 0 down with the form Liverpool's in. Hey, you never know, eh? right? Right. Um, but that does it for this week. Uh, thanks from uh, Chris, Manu, and myself. Uh, we'll be back before you know it. Enjoy the midweek games and Oviedo's end.